For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is a witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, rather from you or from others, though we could have been made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless were our conduct towards our you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is the word of the Lord. Please take your seats. Hey, Taproot, good morning. It is good to see you. There we go. And uh, it is good to be here. Um, <clears throat> before we dive into our text this morning, let me just start by sharing a story that hopefully will um, help you understand a little bit of my background and, and really what this day signifies for me personally. So I, um, November of 2003, I was 19 years old and I had just become a Christian a couple years uh, before that at 17 and uh, it was going to be the very first time that I was going to do this extended fast. So I had become a Christian at 17 and I had fasted a few uh, times before, but this spiritual discipline of fasting was not one that I was super thrilled about, right? You know, I, I'm not sure about you, but I really love good food. And so I, 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 I knew that it was a spiritual discipline uh, and, and that I probably should exercise it, but I wasn't too fond of. So in, and I had fasted a few times before, but never for more than a few days, and really, if I'm honest, maybe just a few meals at a time, and uh, I was nervous. This was a big deal, and my plan was this. I was going to start fasting on a Wednesday, then I would fast Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and break fast on a Sunday with the Lord's Supper, and the reason why I was going to fast was because I was a you know 19-year-old kid, and I I was fasting and praying. I wanted, I wanted to seek God's face and, 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 and ask and pray about for direction for my life. Ever, ever since I was a little boy, and this may be a generalization, but 
ever since I was a little boy, like a lot of little boys, I wanted to be a professional athlete. I, my dream is that I had played soccer my entire life and that I was going to, you know, my name would be famous, that I would play soccer for the rest of my life, that it would be my career. Any, any soccer players in the house? Anybody? All five of us? Wow. All of a sudden, I just felt not very much loved, but that's cool. <laughs> anyway, so that was my dream, maybe not yours. I wanted to be this soccer star. I played my entire life, and I was right on track. I was on the path to, to accomplish this a dream. So I was, uh, there was a Division I scholarship waiting for me, and I was going to go to college. I was going to, you know, work really hard, be the star of the team, be very successful. I would go to the draft, and the rest, of course, would be history. But something happened when I became a Christian. I started to have this, I was very conflicted about my ambitions. I was, there was a wrestling match going on inside. I was not at peace. There was unrest. And the reason why I, I was wrestling and not, there was much conflict was because I knew, I know myself. And I knew that really the motivation behind my ambition was very selfish, was very prideful, was just about me, and it was not about the gospel or fueled by Jesus. And so as a 19-year-old kid who was having this wrestling match, I was desperate for God to speak to me and give me some direction, a sense of what he would have me do, a sense of calling, and I was going to do, I was willing to do whatever God would have me do. And so the only thing that I knew to do was to fast. I was going to fast, and I was going to seek God's face till he spoke. So I fasted for these few days, and somewhere in between, in the middle of this fast, I really sensed that God spoke to me. Now, people have asked me, what was that like? Did, did you see it on the clouds? Did you, was it an audible deal? What, what was that experience like for you? And all I can say to that is really that, that it was louder than audible. As I um, read the Bible, as I prayed, as I journaled, as I thought through my past and my experiences and things that people had uh, spoken to me about me, thought about my giftings and, and uh, interests and skills, I, as I just gave myself in desperation to fast and pray and seek God, I really had this deep conviction that his Holy Spirit had spoken to me. And I just hang, hung on to that promise that I, as one of his sheep, can hear the shepherd's voice. So I really had a sense that God spoke to me. And what I sensed God say that, that day, and it's always weird when I say this out loud, is that pastoral ministry was in the future, which is a dangerous calling. And more than that, that I would one day shepherd God's people in the Pacific Northwest. And I remember that day clearly. And this fall, it's going to be 15 years since that day. And today, I'm getting installed here at 
Taproot Church as an elder. And it is the understatement of the year to say that I am a little bit overwhelmed. (laughs) I love Jesus. I love the church. I love his people. I love the gospel. And I sense that there might there may be no weightier responsibility than the calling to shepherd the Lord's sheep in this world. I feel that. I woke up this morning anxious, feeling that sense of weight and responsibility for what God is calling me and my family to do. Now, besides all of that, God has been so gracious and faithful throughout this whole process. We have seen time and time again his hand as he has been making a way for us, as he is showing his favor, confirming over and over repeatedly that God is calling us here. Even, even just this week, one, one thing that was kind of, you know, out of our control is that we are in the process currently of adopting a little boy from the state of Oregon. And we, we, um, had all kind of plans, plan A, B, or C, of what could potentially happen if the adoption didn't go through in time for us to come to Burien. Bless you. And, uh, and uh, we had all these scenarios. And I may be, the, the, I have, from the beginning of our adoption, which was two years ago, I have made it a decision to not have the greatest expectations for DHS which might not be awesome, but that's just kind of what I determined to not to be let down often. And so I, uh, we, this was out of our control. We just said, God, we're just going to do everything that we know to do and just leave this in your hands. And uh, even a week ago, we had no idea whether or not this thing would come through. There was paperwork laying in someone's desk in Salem, Oregon, waiting for it to be faxed and sent through. And of course, it's one paper amongst hundreds and thousands of papers. Well, this past Wednesday, we got word that the paperwork was sent to Roseburg, Oregon, just in time that our the adoption will very much likely be finalized this coming week so that we can come and move to Burien when we scheduled originally. And again, that is, again, over and over again. We have seen God do these kind of things along the way. Again, why is he so gracious to us? Why is he so good? He loves us, and he has been showing again and again and again how good he is throughout this whole process. So again, the weightiness of this day, what God has been doing again and again and again throughout this whole process has me, like I said, just a little bit overwhelmed. And so... Before we dive into our text this morning, can I just for a moment pray and commit this time to Jesus? So if you can, pray with me and then we'll dive right into here. Uh, Father, I, God, I am so humbled by what you are doing God, at times I feel so inadequate 
and, and that's probably good. So that I cannot boast in my skill, but that our boast could only be in Christ. So Father, I commit this day to you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move, that he would speak and equip and exhort and encourage your people, that he would help us to see Jesus clearly today. God, I thank you for the church, Lord. Thank you for this church. Thank you for Taproot, God. Would you unite us and bind us together as one because of Christ, Lord. And may this community be an outpost of heaven here in Burien and in the South End, God, for many years to come. Lord, I pray that today that you would help me to teach your words clearly and faithfully, God. And may your son, Jesus, be the centerpiece of all that happens today. And may you, God, receive all the glory. Again, thank you for this day. And I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so what I want to do this morning is just a little bit different because we have been in the thick, we are in the thick of a series through the book of Exodus, but this morning I want us, just because of kind of what today is, I want us to take a look, a brief look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and here is the why. Here is the big idea. This is why we are doing this today. Now, you, the, the apostle Paul in the book of 1 Timothy and also in the book of Titus, gave us, he delineated for us the qualifications for elderships. Now, what we don't get in those books is a, a practical look into what pastoral ministry looked like, how those qualifications are feathered out, how they are lived out. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the first 12 verses, we get this beautiful picture this glimpse or a snapshot of what pastoral ministry looked like for the apostle Paul. And there are two reasons mainly why I want to look at these 12 verses this morning. The first reason is that the picture that Paul is going to paint for us in these 12 verses is, is really my heart. This is what I've been hoping and praying. This is the kind of shepherd that I hope and pray that I can be here for you. And not only it's just about me, but it's what I hope and pray that our elders can be here for you. And secondly, this morning, it's not all about me. So the second reason why I want to look at this is because there is not one quality that I see in the text. There's, there is not one mark that we will look at today that I do not desire for you. So what, I, what we're going to look at together this morning in the text is also the kind of people that I'm hoping and praying that we can become together as a community. Now, before we look at our specific text, let me just give you a little bit of the context behind the book. And you'll hear me say this often, again and again and again, that context matters. When you're studying the Bible, context really, really matters. And then we'll look at the context and then we'll look at the beautiful picture that Paul paints for us in chapter 2. Okay, so the, the, the letter of the Thessalonians is most likely the earliest letter that we have from 
the Apostle Paul. And the backstory, you can find this in the book of Acts, chapter 17, where Paul and Silas had gone to the ancient city of Thessalonica, the ancient Greek city of Thessalonica. And after just one month of these guys doing gospel work, telling people about Jesus and the gospel, there's a large number of Jewish and Greek people trusted and believed in Christ and pledged their allegiance to Jesus. And the very first, they formed their very first church community there. But of course, like any good story, trouble was brewing in the horizon. Paul's proclamation of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection as the Messiah and Christ, the one who saves sinners, led to suspicion within the city authorities. And the Christians in Thessalonica were then accused of defying Caesar, the emperor, when they affirmed that their allegiance was not to Caesar, but to a different king, King Jesus. And this led to a persecution that was so intense, so brutal, so violent that Paul and Silas fled from this city. And this was very painful for them. Because in this season that they had spent ministering there, these people became so very dear to them. They loved these people there so much. And so this letter from Paul is an attempt to reconnect with the Christians in Thessalonica after he got a report from Timothy that these guys were doing great. The church was flourishing despite a very difficult season, despite intense persecution and hardships. These guys were flourishing in the gospel. And so what Paul does in this first letter is, number one, he celebrates their faithfulness to Jesus, even throughout a very difficult time, even through a very difficult and challenging season. And then he challenges them to keep growing as followers of Christ. Now, I know we already did this. My, my, my dear wife read our text. But if you would just humor me for a second, I would like to just read our text again, just so that it is fresh in our mind and we can see uh, Again, what, what my prayer for myself and our elders has been and what I'm hoping and praying that we can become as a community. So let me just read the text again quickly and then we'll, we'll look at a few things in the text. So 1 Thessalonians 2. For you yourself know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Number, verse 5, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Look at this verse. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become 
very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you, believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and <clears throat> glory. Now what, what we see in the text is that Paul had formed these dear friendships with these people. And so he uses really intimate metaphors to describe these relations. I mean, you, you see that in verse 7 and 11. These metaphors, these, this imagery that he paints are very intimate and Paul says that he was happy. He was willing, happy to share with them not only the good news of Jesus, but his very own life, his very self. Why? Because these people had become so very dear to them. And then Paul, what he reminds us of in these verses is that the essence of Christian leadership. It's not about power or control and influence or position, but really the essence of Christian leadership is about healthy, loving, caring, and genuine relationships grounded in Jesus and humble, loving service because of Jesus. And so Paul reminded the Thessalonian believers that he did not come looking for any personal gain, but simply came to love, to give himself, to serve them in the name of Jesus. And what I see in the text is I see 12 marks, 12 qualities of what pastoral ministry looked like for Paul in these verses. So what I want to do now is I want to quickly run through those 12 Things. And like I said earlier, I, I am committed to keeping these biblical priorities in front of me. And this has been my prayer, my hope, that this is the kind of shepherds, this is the kind of elders that we can be here in Taproot for you in the type of biblical community that I pray we can become together. And I, see, I, want, I want you to see this in, <coughs> excuse me, in the text. So 12 marks that we see of what uh, shepherding or pastoral ministry looked like for Paul in our text. And you, the first thing you see is in verse 2. And the first thing you see is that Paul did not shrink back from suffering for the gospel. And I hope and I pray that I won't either and that our elders won't either. Jesus said that we are to daily take up our cross and die to self and follow him. So we, I, we will do that. We will call others to do the same. Paul did not shrink back from suffering for the gospel. Right there also in verse 2, the second thing you see is that Paul preached the gospel boldly. And again, my hope and my prayer is that our elders, that I can do this, that we will preach the gospel to you boldly and faithfully. You will be clear and bold about the gospel of Jesus, 
That is the first importance. Paul said that we will be bold about the gospel of his son, Jesus. And even in the midst and in the face of fear. The third thing you see, you see that in verse 3. And I love this. Paul did not deceive. There were no ulterior motives, no tricks, no gimmicks, no deception, no secret or hidden agendas. And I hope and I pray that that is true for me, for our elders. We will not deceive you. We just want to faithfully communicate and be truthful and integrous with you. Look at the next thing, same thing in verse 4. Paul worked to please God and not men. I hope and pray that we can do the same. The most important audience is him. And it's not down here. So may we work faithfully to please God and not men. The next thing you see is in verse Paul did not flatter these people. He did not lavish insincere praise and compliments upon someone to further one's own interests. He did not flatter these people. He loved them. So what I hope and pray that we can do as elders is encourage. Yes. We want to be a, a, a people who encourages you. I pray and hope that we are people that we point out evidences of grace often, yes, but backslap to get something that we want, no. Paul did not flatter, and I hope that we can do the same. Verse 6, the next thing you see here is that Paul was not greedy for selfish gain. His motive for loving and caring and shepherding these people were not selfish, were not about himself. He wasn't in it for the money or any other selfish reason. There was no stepping stool to the next position. There was no other secret ambition that was selfish or greedy. And I hope and pray that that is the same for us. We are not in this for selfish reasons. In verse 6, you also see that Paul did not seek his own glory. And I hope and pray that we as elders won't seek our own glory. It's not about us. In our shepherding, in our leading, in our serving, may Christ be first and foremost and not us or our name or how good and skilled we are. May he receive all of the glory. Look at verse 7. I love, again, this is very intimate imagery. And um, the metaphor that he's using here is very interesting. But he says, the text says in verse 7 that Paul was gentle like a mother. And I hope and pray that I will first be gentle. That I will first be kind that I will be first compassionate in my relationships with you. We will be gentle and kind before anything else. I hope that that is true for our elders. Verse 8 says this, that 
And I love this. Paul shared joyfully his very own self. And I hope and pray again that I can and our elders can do that as well. We will freely and openly give you two things, Taproot. The gospel of Jesus and we'll give you ourselves. Verse 9, Paul worked hard. And I hope and pray that I can do the same. I do not know any other way. And I, throughout this process, there's been moments that I've thought, surely, surely there's somebody that is smarter, better looking, more intelligent, taller, somebody more qualified for this, whatever, you know. I am not famous. I may not be the most skilled. I may not be the most smart or intelligent or eloquent. But one thing that I will do is that I will work hard and I will be faithful at working hard. Now, I say this, but this is, again, this is not an excuse to neglect my family or personal discipline and rest, but I will faithfully plot and toil and sow and plant gospel seeds and water them and pray God that he would make them grow, and I will do that faithfully. And I hope that our elders can do the same, that we will work hard and be faithful at that. Verse 10, you see this, Paul pursued personal holiness. He was working out. He was being sanctified. He was pursuing uh, to become more and more like Christ. And I pray and hope that I will, our elders will pursue this as well. We, we, I won't be a hypocrite and ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And, of course, it is always hard to take people somewhere that you've not gone before. So I, will, I, will, I am not perfect. I will make mistakes. I am just in the journey just like you, but I will pursue to become more and more and more like Christ. And will at times, will I hurt you and make a mistake? Probably. But I, I hope that you understand that I have not arrived. Just like Paul, I will pursue to become more and more like holiness, um, like Jesus. I'll pursue personal holiness. <coughs> the last thing you see here Again, very intimate imagery. Paul exhorted. He strongly encouraged, firmly urged others to do something. He exhorted like a father. You see that in verses 11 and 12. And I hope and pray that our elder board, we can do that as well. Now, I'm, I, I will not be a hothead, but I'm not going to be a softie. I'm not trying to make everyone mad, but I, I, I'm okay with everybody not being happy all the time. He was gentle, but at times he was firm. He was both. And there are times for that. And I hope and pray that at the right time I can be one or the other. Twelve marks. Now, what, what does this mean for you? Okay, so yeah, Luis, great. That's what you're hoping and praying that for yourself. That's what you're hoping and praying for the elder team. But what does this mean for you as a, you know, a, a, a individual here in Taproot. 
there are a few things that I think that, that how we can respond, how we can apply this <coughs> together. And the first thing that I would say to us, the first thing that I would ask you is I would ask you to commit yourself to pray for your elders. Listen, I covet your prayers. We need your prayers. I would ask you that you would pray that we would be able to stay true to these things. That we can keep these priorities in front of us often. Because if God can help us follow Paul as he followed Christ, then our work and our labor and our service among you will not be in vain. The second thing that I would ask you to do, how I would ask you to respond, Taproot, is that I would ask you to be ever aware that we will make mistakes. Be under no uh, delusion that we won't blow it. I will. I'm going to make mistakes. So what I would ask you, Taproot, is I would ask you to be a group of people, a community that would extend grace to us and to each other because you will make mistakes as well. So extend grace when those moments come. Let's pursue as a community to be a humble people who always chooses to think the best of others, who always gives the benefit of the doubt, and who realizes that we are just pilgrims along the way. That we are just beggars trying to show other beggars where to find bread. And I've said this before, his name is Jesus. Extend grace to us and to each other. The third thing that I would challenge you with, challenge us with as a means of response, is that I would charge us, you, Taproot, to walk in a manner worthy of God. Like I said in the beginning, in a little bit throughout this morning, is that there is not one quality that I see in this text that I do not desire for you, that I do not desire for us. <coughs> I, I, I hope that we are a people who is gentle and kind and compassionate to one another and to the community. That we, uh, when we have to, we are firm and strong. That we work hard and are faithful. I pray that we are bold about Jesus. That we are okay with taking up our cross daily and following Christ. I hope and pray that we are these kind of people. Not looking for selfish gain, but that we are like Christ, laying our life down in selflessness. That we pursue these very qualities. We pursue to become more and more like Christ. So, as a response, I would charge you, very much like Paul charged these people, to pursue these biblical priorities for the glory of God and for the good of other people. And may the Holy Spirit of God empower us to do this, to, to be these people as a community. And even this morning, if the Holy Spirit of God is bringing some conviction to your life as I'm saying this, there is much grace for you. So repent. Be forgiven. And 
follow Jesus. Walk in a manner worthy of God. May we be empowered and convicted if we need to be. <clears throat> Last thing that I would say as a means of response is that I would hope and pray that it is my desire that we would strive. Let's pray and strive. Let's fight for and protect. Let's pursue to be a community like the one that we just read about in 1 Thessalonians 2, chapter verse 8. A community that is marked and filled with people that is ready to share not only the gospel of Jesus, but our very own selves, our very lives with one another in the good times and in the bad times, through thick and thin, may we be these kind of people that we share Christ and we share each other. Jesus literally prayed this for his people. The book of John chapter 17 says this. I love this. I've been meditating upon this verse for a few weeks now. John 17 23, this is the high priestly prayer. God is praying. Jesus, God is praying to God, which is incredible. He says this. Look at verse 23. Right around the middle. Let's just read the whole thing. Verse, verse 22. <coughs> Excuse me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Look at this prayer. That they, my people, may be one even as we are one, in, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, love them even as you love me. Jesus is praying that we would be these kind of people, united, knit together, one. So may we be those kind of people that share the gospel of Christ boldly, but at the same time, we share our very own selves with one another. This has been my prayer. This picture that we get in these 12 verses has been my, my prayer and my desire for my uh, shepherding here in Taproot. For our elders here in Taproot. Will we get it right all the time? Absolutely not. But that's all right. So pray for us. Extend grace when we totally miss the mark. Let's pursue holiness and to become more and more and more like Christ. And when we are convicted, may we repent and may we ask the Holy Spirit of God to empower us. And may God bring a unity that is unusual, that is supernatural, that it is just gospel unity so that we would just share the gospel in our very own selves and that the community would notice that God is on the move here at Taproot Church. This is my prayer for me, my prayer for our elder board, my prayer for us. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, I, God, I, I uh, by no means I am under the impression that I have arrived or that I've got everything 
you know, figured out. I am often, daily, uh, realizing how much I don't know and how much I need you, God. And so, Father, I, I pray that, Lord, that as I, I, I step into this season of eldership here at Tapford, God, I need you. Help me, God. Help me to serve and love well. Help me to do it faithfully, God. Help me to keep these marks that we talked about in front of me, Lord, for your glory and for the good of others. And God, I pray that you would unite us, God, that you would bless us with unity, God, that you would knit us together as one God, that we would be ready and joyfully willing to, uh, to share our very own lives with each other, God. Help us to be kind and compassionate, but at the same time strong and firm when need be. God, help us to uh, be empowered by your spirit, God, to become more and more like Christ. And when uh, you, when we are, uh, when we, and, and also convict us, God, and bring us to our knees in repentance and to give us grace to keep on going on the journey, Lord. So, Father, I thank you for this family. I thank you for this community, God. Would you unite our hearts, knit our hearts, centered on Christ because of the gospel, God. Permeate this community, this church with humility, God, and love. God, I pray, my prayer is that your kingdom would come to the south end, God. May your kingdom come to this region like it is in heaven. May it grow. May people come to know Christ. May you use Tapford Church for your purposes, God. And I can thank you for this morning. May, may this n never be about me or us, but, but may what we do here week in and week out and throughout the week may this always be about Jesus God so now we respond by we're going to sing Lord we're going to praise because of what we're going to give you glory and honor and worship because of what you are doing in our midst God how could we not sing how could we not worship how could we not shout there is none like you God and I pray this in Jesus' good name